1 Corinthians chapter 15, a whole chapter explaining and proving the resurrection. And I, I realize that probably more than half of the Easter messages all through history have come from this chapter. But I do believe this is where we ought to look. And Greg touched on it this morning. John Wayne talked through it. I feel like it's worth saying one more time. The evidence that there is that Jesus resurrected. Peter said we've not followed cunningly devised fables. Now the world would like for you to think that this way and the way of the Lord Jesus is just, well, you're hoping, you're thinking that's the case. You believe it, but you've got no evidence of the fact. Well, that is a lie. We have eyewitness accounts that prove the Lord Jesus rose from the dead above 500 at one time seen the man, Jesus Christ, after His death. And John Wayne said they, they don't argue whether or not He was dead. He was dead. They knew He was dead. They rammed the spear through His heart and there was without question no life in the man Jesus when He went in the tomb. So in order for Him to be seen afterward, He, he arose. That's the only explanation that there is. And the evidence is provided. Now, in verse 16 is where we'd like to start. And we may be all over this chapter. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is in vain, ye are yet in your sins. Then they also, which are fallen asleep in Christ, are perished. So if Christ is not raised, what is there for man if Christ is not raised? Well, there's not going to be a resurrection. I believe we can see that from here. That when man dies, and you know, you, you think, what's the worst thing that you could face today? Maybe, maybe some would say the death of a loved one. And some would say my death. But now in the, in the flesh, in the flesh, the worst thing that you could face is death. To the atheist, the worst thing that he's going to face is death. And you know, the, the, the thing about death is, is that we're all going to face that. There is no discharge in that war. And if Christ is not raised, and there's not a resurrection, then those that are fallen asleep are perished, and we are without any hope whatsoever. Those that die, they're in the grave, and the grave's where they're going to stay. They're never going to uh, come out of that place. And those souls that have died in sins, they are still yet in their sins, and there's no hope of redemption. Now, I, I want you to know that there is, there's two of every one of us that's in the house. There's a natural man and there's a spiritual man. There's a natural man that dies and there's a spiritual man that can die the second death. This man, he can't die a second death. When he's dead, he's dead. The second death is that spiritual man 
That man that God gave, the natural man of the earth, will go back to the earth. He'll return to the dust that he's made from. And ain't it something now that we think so highly of ourselves, that mankind thinks so highly of ourselves, and when we're gone, they can turn our body into something that'll fit in that cup right there, and that'll blow away in the wind. Now, of a truth, that's what man is without the soul that God put in him. God breathed into man and man became a living soul. And when the soul is departed, there's nothing left but corruption, rottenness, stink, and that it's going to go back to that which is worthless. Of no value whatsoever. Now that's what man is. And if there's no Savior that is risen, then friends, when they lay me in the earth, I've got no hope of ever coming out of there in the natural sense. The body's gone and it's gone forever. And in the spiritual sense, I mean, what happens to the spiritual man when it leaves this natural body? Well, by the Word of God, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And we see uh, the parable of the rich man and Lazarus there was a man that was an unbeliever and he died and his soul went before the Lord. He was found to be guilty and in hell he lifted his eyes in torments. Now without a risen Savior, that's the end of everybody on the face of the earth. Because there's no means that sins could be dealt with and that death could be overcome. Now, where did all that start? Uh, we, we can go back to the Garden of Eden. That there's Adam and Eve and there's the serpent who comes in and beguiles and deceives Eve into breaking the commandment of God. She carries that to Adam and Adam knowingly and willfully breaks the commandment of God and there sin enters in. There, man becomes sinful. So you know, if you look in Hebrews, this is the way he says it in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. For as much then as children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil. So now, and I don't want to say anything that's wrong, but the Scripture says that the devil had the power of death. Not that he could take a man's life at his will, because we see in Job that God withheld him from taking Job's life. But you know that death that man would die, the, the body dying and going to the grave, and the soul dying and lifting its eyes in hell in torments, those were a result of the work that the devil did in the garden. The Lord Jesus says so. That the devil was a murderer from the beginning. Well, who did he murder? Mankind. With his lies and with his deceit, Death has reigned over man from Adam until today because of the work that the devil did. And without a Savior, the devil would still have power of death. We would still go to the grave because of the work that he did and we could not be loosened 
from the chains of it because of the guilt of sin. So if Christ be not raised, your faith is in vain. What is there to believe in if there's not a Savior that's resurrected? All the other men, all the other women that have ever lived and lived on the earth, they're dead and they went back to dust. There's certainly nothing there that I can put any faith in because they went the same way that I'm going to have to go. And you know, everybody that's alive today, whether it's my parents or me uh, uh, or some other man or some great religious figurehead, you know the way they're going to go? They're going the same way as well. They're all going to die. Uh, there's nothing that we can have faith in if there's not a Savior that's overcome. You know, he uses the picture of the Old Testament priests. And for them to make an offering in the holy place, they had to offer for themselves first. Because they were guilty just like everybody else was. That's the state of mankind. All of man is guilty. And without a Savior, our faith is in vain. It's empty. Ye are yet in your sins. Without a risen Savior, I'm left there guilty before God, a sinner. You know what a sinner is? I believe this is a good definition of a sinner. One who has broken a commandment of God one time. You break a commandment of God one time, you're a sinner. So if there's no risen Savior, man is left in the state of a sinner. Man is still guilty and still accountable unto God. Now there's something that man tries his very best to skirt and to get around is accountability to anybody. And you know this, if you're going to hold somebody accountable, they probably will not like that. Man doesn't want to be accountable to any authority that's above him. God is the supreme authority. And all of man and his actions and his words and his deeds and his thoughts and his all that he does in this life, man is accountable unto God. And friends, if, if we're not accountable to God, this is a complete waste of time. If there's no judgment, why have a church? If there's nothing after this, and we're going to go to a grave and that's the end of us, why would we therefore labor? Paul says as much later on in this chapter. Why do I suffer like I suffer? Why do I fight with the beasts at Ephesus? Why do we labor as we labor? There's no sense in it without a risen Savior because there's no hope. The bottom line is, without a Savior, there is no hope of any deliverance. We're going to die. Naturally, there's nothing we can do about it. Right? We're all going to the grave, and there's nothing we can do to prevent that. We're all going to die. Well, I want you to know that's a great parable and picture of the spiritual man as well. You know the spiritual man? He's going to die, and he's going to go to hell... And there's nothing that we're able to do to prevent that. 
Well, I'll be better. I'll try harder. I'll do better. And you know what you'll do every time? We'll always come out in the end disappointed in ourselves and coming short of the commandment of God. Man's going to die and there's no hope without a Savior. Then they also which are fallen asleep without a risen Savior, those that are gone, they're gone. And they've perished. That means to destroy fully. That's what the word means. So those that are alive, they've got no hope whatsoever. And those that are dead, they're not just dead and laying and their bodies decaying, but they're also fully destroyed in hell with no reprieve ever. If in this life only, what a conclusion and how true that this is. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. Because you know why that is. This life may be more for some than it is for others. But this life is a few days and full of trouble and full of sorrow and full of regret and full of sadness and we're all going to lose the ones we love. We're all going to be disappointed. We're all going to face heartache. We're all going to have our heart broken. We're all going to sorrow. We're all going to face the hard things of this life. And if this life only is the only place that I can trust in Christ, then what misery I'm going to be in when it comes time for me to leave this world. What a fearful place to be on my deathbed to be dying and leaving this world and there's nothing that I can do to prevent it and I've got no hope after I leave here of escaping hell or of ever escaping the grave. What a horrible, horrible enemy that death is naturally and spiritually. It's a horrible thing. And if in this life only we're most miserable. But now, you know this isn't the case. But now, is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them which slept? Jesus Christ has risen. Now what does that mean? That means that the Lord has come and He was a man. There was a man. You can look up any reputable historical source that you'd like and they'll tell you that there was a man that lived 2,000 years ago and his name was Jesus and he lived in Israel and that he was crucified on the cross because he was a religious heretic. That cannot be denied. That's, that's history. But now... That was not the end of this man Jesus Christ. That's not the end of the story because He rose from the dead and He had a great many witnesses that He showed Himself to. And you know what those witnesses began to do? They began to tell other people not just by their own words but by the inspiration and by the unction, and by the stirring of the Holy Ghost of God that this risen Savior sent back, they begin to testify of the works that this man, Jesus Christ, has done. And you know, you know, this is amazing. 
that work began in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, and here it is. The same word, the same message, the same Savior, and the same work is still being proclaimed on Spring Creek 2,000 years later. There's no other thing to preach that man could be delivered from the trouble of sin because there's no other that's ever resurrected from the dead in victory over the grave. There's no other. He is the first fruits. You know the first fruits? If you plant a little garden, the first fruits, that's the first ripe thing out there on the vine. If you've got a tomato plant, the first one that's ripe and ready to pick, that's the one that is the first fruit. There's only one first fruit. Jesus Christ was the first fruit from the dead. He was the first one resurrected. He was the one that came to defeat Him that had the power of death. The, the sin and the guilt that held man down. The Lord Jesus lived above sin and above the curse of Adam and was not defeated. There's not one facet of this that you can look at that is not amazing to me. Me knowing my nature and how apt that I am to sin, how apt that I am to fail to do what I ought to do, or to do that that I know I shouldn't do, how apt that I am to do wrong, and how often that I do wrong, it amazes me. Here's a man that lived 33 years and never sinned once. Can you imagine... Going a week and not sinning once? Think about what a great thing that would be if I could stand and say for a week I've not sinned. This man went alive and never sinned. He never failed. Well, how do you know that? You wasn't there. Well, there were eyewitnesses that were. But the resurrection from the dead... That is the evidence that this man did not sin. You know, if he was a sinner, and if he was just like me and you, he'd die and lay there just like me and you would. He'd have been just like David. Uh, Peter quoted David's Scripture in Acts chapter 2, and he said, David's grave's right here, and we can go roll the stone back, and guess what? David's still laying there. Jesus wasn't like David, and He wasn't like Solomon, and He wasn't like Hezekiah, and He wasn't like Moses. Jesus gave His life on the cross, and He took it back up again in victory. Now, Christ is risen. We're not a people today that is without any hope. Because Christ is risen and become the first fruit. Now, you know the good thing about the, uh, the first ripe tomato on the vine? That's the first one. But when you eat that, there's probably going to be another one ripe. And there's some little green ones coming along. There's more that's going to follow. Well, you know why the Lord Jesus was sacrificed? that everybody else could follow. That man could have victory himself. The Lord is not going to leave one place for the devil to have any victory or claim to it whatsoever. Now remember, man fell into sin as a result of the devil's lies 
deceit, and trickery. Man dies and goes to the grave as a result of the devil's lies, deceit, and trickery. Man could not escape the devil's power. Man could not escape the guilt of his sin. But the Lord Jesus came and first of all, He was born and lived a life without sin. A necessary requirement in order to escape the power of death. And became the first fruits for since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. And you know it had to be that way. Man sinned and come short of the Word of God. There had to be a man to bring a payment and restitution and ransom to the redemption of the souls of man. So God became man. In the person of Jesus Christ, God was man and He tabernacled among us and He lived among us for 33 years and He gave His life a sacrifice and tasted death for every man. He didn't die like I would have died. He tasted it and He got up in victory in perfection. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Now notice the words. Not just those that believe. Not just those that are saved. Not just those that are in the church, but in Christ. As in Adam, all die. No discharge from that war. Everybody that's in Adam is going to die. Well, in Christ, everybody's going to be made alive. Now, what a victory here that in His death and resurrection, He was sufficient, and there's power in His resurrection, sufficient to get up all of man. Not a universal redemption. But Daniel says, many in the grave shall rise, some to everlasting life, and some to everlasting shame and contempt. The Lord Jesus says that everybody in the graves will hear His voice and come forth, some to life and some to contempt and death. There is a resurrection. And there's a resurrection of all men. And that's possible by the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Man will not remain in the grave and allow the devil to have claim in victory. The devil will not say they're there because I deceived Adam. And we're not going to be able to say, well, I died uh, like I was in sin because of what Adam did and I've got no, uh, no excuse. No, God's, God's going to get everybody up in Jesus. And now we're not without hope under the death of Adam, under the curse of the law, and held under the power of the devil, under his deceit and lies, but God has made a means for man to escape his sin in Jesus. We are all sinners through Adam. Nothing I can do to prevent that from happening. But God made a way that I could escape the judgment of that through the sacrifice and the resurrection of His Son, Jesus Christ. Through His death, His burial, and His resurrection, we can escape the judgment of God, we can escape the power of death, and we can escape the judgment of hell. But, 
to them that are in unbelief, that die lost in their sins, they're going to get up too. They will be resurrected. Those that the dead that are in hell, they're going to be resurrected. Those that are in the sea, they're going to be resurrected. And all of the dead are going to stand before God. And those that are not found written in the book of life, they're going to be cast into the lake of fire that burneth forever and ever. Now do you know why they're going there? It's not because Adam sinned and I couldn't help it. It's because God made a way for me to escape my sins in Jesus Christ and I would not believe it. I can't blame Adam anymore. The Lord Jesus defeated the power of death. He defeated the power of the devil. He made a way that all of man's going to get up one day and He made a way that I could be saved if I'd believe the Gospel, if I'd repented His Word. Now if I die lost, I am going to be resurrected. I am going to stand before God. But to them that are undone and blind and out of the way and in unbelief, the lake of fire is their last destination. And they'll be there for eternity because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. That's the Word of God. But every man in his own order. There's an order to this. There's an order in all things that God does. God is not the author of confusion. God has got an order. The word here is implying an arranged troop. And when you see an arranged troop that's been through basic training and they're marching in step, you know what they are? They're in order. They're in line. And they're in step. Well, God's plan is in order, in line, and in step. Listen. Christ the firstfruits, afterward, they that are Christ's at His coming, then cometh the end. So this resurrection here, we've got Christ first, the chief cornerstone. And without His resurrection, we're all going to die. And we're all going to hell. And there's no escape for anybody. And we can't do anything about it. And there's no hope and no hell. So if you don't believe that Jesus has resurrected, then you have no hope at all. There is no hope if Jesus has not been resurrected. But He has. There's evidence. His Spirit will bear witness to that. His Word bears witness to that. And He is resurrected from the dead. Christ the firstfruits, afterward they that are Christ at His coming. So when Christ returns, all of those that are His at His coming, and we'll skip ahead here. and let, Let's just do that now. Verse 50. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Now I believe we can see this in Genesis as well. When man sinned, it's already been mentioned here today. Man sinned in the garden and God placed the flaming sword and He said, let's cast man out of here lest him in his sinful state would eat of this fruit and live forever. Now that would be 
That would be a miserable, miserable condition. And a miserable earth if man could live forever in this wicked state. There would be no end to the depths of the wickedness that man would perform if he was left to live in his current condition. But flesh and blood cannot inherit. Neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. How can something that's decaying and going away and rottening and ruining, how can something that, uh, that is uh, mortal and likely to die, how can something like that inherit that which is incorruptible and perfect? It, how can that that's decaying enter into something that never decays? It can't happen. The flesh, the flesh is cursed and it's sinful and it's wicked and it's rebellious and it's in the earthly man that the devil has been cast. And he knows he has a short time in those that are his and he's trying to cause as much trouble, as much fear, as much sorrow as he can. But this earthly man, it's going to go away one day. All of the trouble that the church is facing today will soon go away. Now to them that are lost, know this. The lost man, this corruptible, decaying man, that's all he's got. When this man is gone for the lost man, anything good is gone as well. All that's left is judgment and the wrath of God. But you know to the church... This old decaying man, this man's the source of my trouble. This man is the source of my sorrow. This man, this body of my death is the source of that that causes me all of the trouble. Well, I don't have to worry. This man's not going to inherit. This corruptible, this defiled, this rebellious and sinful man, we're going to lay it off one day. This corruptible man... It's going to corrupt. He's going to decay. Behold, I shew you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. That word means to exchange. So, he's saying here, now certainly when he wrote this, everybody alive when Paul wrote this, they're asleep. They're awaiting the Savior coming for resurrection. But you know, there's going to be folks alive that are born again, that believe the gospel, when the Lord does come back. Now, they're not going to go to the grave like me and you may go to the grave, or like Paul did. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. There's going to be an exchange going on. Even in those that are alive, when the Lord Jesus comes back, this outward corruptible man is going to be exchanged whether it goes in the grave or whether the Lord kills it when He comes back with the brightness of His glory. This man's going to go away. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. Now Greg talked about this just a little, maybe in a different light. But in a moment, that word means indivisible. It's that which cannot be split in two. You can't divide it down to a smaller part of time and he also adds in, in the twinkling of an eye. 
Now how quick of a time is it? You know that's all that God takes to change. That's all that it takes. You know I remember, I remember a young man asking me if I'd ever been saved one day on a baseball field in Hot Springs. And I remember that day, I remember the moment that I realized I'd never been saved. I remember that moment. It was a moment. It was a, a second. I don't know that I can divide it up any smaller, but I remember that moment that that happened. God changed my thinking in that moment, in that twinkling of an eye. That's all it takes for God to work. That's all it takes for God to change. And you know, one day, it may be a long labor to get there. But boy, I tell you, in a twinkling of an eye, this man's going to be gone. The corruptible man at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. So you can think about that spiritually. The trumpet, the gospel, the proclamation of this work that the Lord Jesus has accomplished, the trumpet is sounded, and those that hear and come to the gospel in a twinkling of an eye, God can get them up out of the altar. They went down a guilty and a weighted sinner, and they get up a saint and a member of the family of God in that moment. Can you divide that up any smaller? It happened right here. You remember when it happened to you? In a moment, God brought redemption. And at the last trump, the corruption is going to be done away. The dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we, those that are alive and remain, shall be changed. The problem, man, is going to go away. What are we changing for? For this corruptible must put on incorruption. And this mortal must put on immortality. Corruptible, we've already said what that means, to decay or ruin. Incorruption, that which abideth forever. It doesn't decay, it doesn't corrupt. Mortal, I love the definition of mortal. Liable to die. Is that not what we all are at any moment? And at any time, we are liable to die. We live day by day under the liability of death to this outward man. Now I'm saved. I'm born again. I don't fear hell and I don't fear the judgment because of the work of Christ. But this man here, he's still liable to die. And you know what I do? When I'm up on a high place, when I'm way up on a ladder, I'm extra careful. And I hold on tighter. And I make sure to step lighter. And I try to stay in balance. Because at any moment, this man is liable to die. But this mortal and this corruptible man, he's going to be changed. What's he going to change for? He's going to be changed. And Paul says that he don't know exactly what it's going to be. He says that in the previous verses. But we know this. It's going to be incorruptible. It's not going to be decaying. It's not going to slowly decline. And it's not going to go away. 
It's not going to be corrupted by sin. I've got an old truck and underneath the driver's door there's rust. The body of the truck is corrupted by rust. This body. This body's corrupted by sin. It's got a problem that can't be fixed. But boy, we can change it. In Christ Jesus, the sinful, rebellious, and wicked nature that troubles our souls and brings so much sorrow upon us, that wicked man is going to be changed for one that is incorruptible. Not only is it free of rust, I could trade for one free of rust, but it's going to rust next too. The truck I'm talking about. But what God gives, it's incorruptible. It's not only free of corruption, but it cannot be corrupted. And this mortal... This man that today is liable to die at any moment, he's going to put on immortality, never dying, cannot die, eternal and everlasting. This mortal man is going to lay down his fear of death and he's going to be resurrected in a state and with a body that is not corrupted by sin, not corrupted by the devil, not corrupted by wicked thoughts, not corrupted and not liable to die, but free from all of that. How is that possible? The work of Jesus Christ. Because He came in 1 John to destroy the works of the devil. What did the devil do? The word works. It means tall or labor. What was the devil's toll or labor? To bring down into destruction God's creation. The devil's desire and labor was to bring all of God's creation into destruction. And God, through His work, defeated sin, defeated death, defeated hell, defeated the grave, and brought victory to all of those that would put their faith in Him. And there's a change coming to those that are in Him. We're going to get rid of the trouble and inherit incorruption. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass. There's going to be a fulfillment. Now I'm going to say this right here. What wonderful fulfillment of the Scriptures that I have in my salvation as I live on this earth today. I can't say that in any way that it won't be taken lighter than it is. And to God's truth, I can't see it in the way that it truly is. What wonderful, wonderful works that God has done in Christ Jesus in me today as I live what a salvation that the church of God enjoys today on the earth. A more abundant life. A life of the joy of the Holy Spirit. A life that's free from the guilt of sin. And a life that is not afraid of the man's worst enemy. I've seen people that have just a short time left. And I've heard people say, I'm ready to go. 
I've heard people say, I hope it ain't too much longer. I'm ready for Him to come back and get me. Now how can somebody say those words? It's through the victory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now outside of the Lord now, that death is the worst, worst thing that you're ever going to face. In the flesh and the resulting end in the Spirit as well. But in Christ, there's a change. And when this change happens, then shall be brought to pass the saying, death is swallowed up in victory. Now I'm alive today in Christ Jesus our Lord, saved and born again. But I'm still in corruption. I'm still in a flesh. Well that is going to be, I'm not going to be more saved. But that is going to be fully realized. Remember, he says the earnest of the Spirit. What that is, is a down payment. It's a pledge that I'm coming back to get you. Well, one day, we can keep the pledge and we're going to receive the fullness of our redemption. I tell you what I've got today. It's just the pledge that He's coming back. It's going to be better. Death is swallowed up in victory. No more fear of death. No fear of judgment. No liability to die. But death has been swallowed up. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. You know what gave death? That bitter sting that's poisonous. That poisonous sting and goad to mankind. His sin and the law that held him guilty. That's why death. That's why death is imposed upon man and that's why man fears death so greatly. Because of sin and the law that's got him guilty and his accountability unto God. Well, in Christ Jesus, that fear of death, that sting of death, there is no sting in death. That don't mean it don't hurt me in the flesh. I may go out and it may hurt me very badly when I go out in the flesh. And Paul may have hurt very badly in the flesh. And some of these men that John Wayne taught about, no doubt they suffered greatly in the flesh as their lives were being taken from them. But they were not afraid of dying. They were not afraid of leaving this world. The sting and the fear of death has been conquered and it's conquered in them that are in Jesus Christ and it could be conquered in you today. If you're in Christ as well. All through this one resurrection. Through this one man in history. Through this God man that lived 2,000 years ago. His work is able to get you up when you die. You know why that is? Because he's up. When I'm gone. When my boys, Lord willing, plant me one day. I won't help them no more. The only people that can help is people that's alive. The Lord Jesus is alive. And He's paid the debt that was owed. 
But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. What a victory! And thanks be to God. Now where does the thanks for this deliverance all go? There's no thanks for me. I'm thankful I believed. That's not here. Thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. God gives it through the work that Jesus done, and God gives it to me through the Spirit and through the Word. A perfect and complete plan, and thanks be to God that He saw fit 2,000 years later to have a Word to reach my heart and deliver me from sin and deliver me from guilt and deliver me from fear of the grave. Thank God for that. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know, your labor is not in vain in the Lord. What's the conclusion to them that know the Lord Jesus? Therefore, seeing the victory, not that's going to be won one day. This is already done and already settled in heaven. It's not He's going to fight the devil one day and try to get control back. He's already won. Why is it like it is? Because God's got His order to things. It's in the order that God intended it to be and that God put it in. But know this, the victory has already been won and He's already given me the victory and He's given me evidence that says I'm coming back for you one day. Now if I've got that, if I've got that assurance, if I'm not afraid to die, if I've got victory in the Lord, what ought I be? Steadfast and unmovable. Don't let the devil move you from your walk with the Lord Jesus. Don't let the devil cheat you out of peace and out of the victory in Jesus Christ. Don't let the devil deceive you into believing a lie. But be you steadfast and unmovable. Sedentary and immovable is that which cannot be moved. There, Greg's been looking at Ephesians 6 to stand. There I stand in the liberty that Christ has made me free, and I will not listen to the lies of Satan. I will not allow him to move me from the victory that I have in the Lord Jesus, though He be a liar and a great liar. God help us to hold to the victory that God has given us, trust in Him with that, and be steadfast and unmovable. Always abounding. To superabound. Always superabounding in the work of the Lord. Why? Because it's not in vain. Amen. Preacher, I've just not seen a lot of good. We may not. We may not hear. We may not see any good here. We may not see anybody saved here. We may not see anybody. We may labor our whole life and never see anybody saved anymore. We may suffer 
and suffer greatly in this life for the cause of Christ through natural affliction. But know this, be steadfast and unmovable because it's not in vain. There's a reward for them that are in Jesus and he likens it to the mother that's in travail that when she brings forth the travail and the nearness to death is forgotten and she's willing to do it again. Yeah. Right. Oh, I tell you what, a deliverance that's coming Amen. for the saints of God. Be steadfast and unmovable, always abounding because the Lord's not ignoring us. He's given us the receipt and He's promised to come back and get us. And this corruption, this corruption will be gone then. The trouble will be gone then. And forever we'll be with the Lord. I know a pitiful job, but that's all that's on our heart. Greg, you come close.